Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. And we were talking about the remission of sins, or this use of the word remission of sins in the Bible in the last couple of shows. And we will talk about that, but uh, so many conversations have taken place this week, and so many things are going on in the news this week that we try to correlate this examination of the Bible... Uh, with the actual events of our lives so that it becomes a part, we begin to see that what they're talking about in the Bible is a part of the very solution we need to solve the problems that we're facing in the daily news or daily events of our lives. Christ was bringing a very generic but a very specific solution to all the problems of the world. His kingdom was not of the world, but it was in and on the planet. It's it's an actual real kingdom. It's not like the other kingdoms of the world. And of course, we have different words in the Hebrew uh, and and even in the English, especially in the, the, the Greek to English translations that are translated into world. Sometimes you're talking about the earth, the planet, uh, sometimes uh, inhabited places, but sometimes you're talking about the governmental systems, the constitutional orders and systems of government. That's actually how it's defined in the concordance. Jesus' kingdom was not of the world of Pontius Pilate. It was not of the world of the Pharisees. The world of the Pharisees was... Basically, who were sitting in the seat of Moses were the kingdom of God on earth. But Jesus took the kingdom away from the Pharisees by their own words, by their own testimony. We have no king but Caesar. If you have no king but Caesar, then you're not the kingdom of God. You're the kingdom of Caesar. If you're the kingdom of God, then there is another king, one Jesus, which it tells us this in the Bible. But uh, there's an awful lot of things that tells us in the Bible, an awful lot of things that came right out of the mouth of Jesus that are absolutely thrown out the window by modern preachers. Uh, I had a discussion concerning some posts that somebody made on Facebook concerning socialism, and then I put in, you know, a quote, I love the quote where it says, in capitalism, man exploits man, but in socialism, the process is reversed. Which means that in socialism, man, you know, exploits man. And you could do it either way. You could put either one first. Of course, I qualify that and explain what I'm talking about. And it's just kind of a, you know, a conversation opener. And uh, unfortunately, some guys couldn't get past the fact that capitalism, in capitalism, man does exploit man. But that doesn't mean all capitalism is exploiting man, because I go and clarify that in capitalism, exploitation is a choice. 
And socialism, it's built in. Well, how can it be built into socialism but not into capitalism? It's very simple. Just look at the definitions of the two words. Socialism is an economic and political system, while capitalism is just an economic system. So, in that distinction alone, there is no political arm of capitalism. Now, you can bring in a political arm into whatever you're practicing that you think is capitalism. And that can alter the outcome of the presence of capitalism. Because of what the political arm of your society is doing. And, of course, if you have lots of socialist-type programs in your supposedly capitalist economy, then it's not going to have the same results. You're going to end up with the more socialist programs you have in your political arm of your society, in the politics of your society, the more you will be exploiting your fellow man. That's because... It's built into socialism that what socialism is, it, you know, the, there's two aspects of that political arm. One is it's the control of the economy by the political arm of society. But it's, since economies are only run by people, it's the control of the people in that socialist society. So that if you produce a lot, some of what will you produce will be taken from you and given to those who don't produce as much. That's the essence of socialism. Those two things, control of the economy and control of the people who produce the economy. Because <laughs> that's how you control the economy, is you control the people. And, and you saw that with Chavez and, and, uh, and uh, Venezuela, where... You know, somebody had a successful business and the government came and confiscated that business and took it away from him. Well, you can say, well, we're just controlling the economy, but you're actually controlling the person. So anyway, I made those distinctions, but of course, as the conversation continued to develop, lots of people liked what I said. Some people were absolutely angry at what I said. Some tried to make comments about it, what I said, and then... I added more to those comments. And so, even though this doesn't seem to be a part of the conversation on the remission, the word remission of sins in the Bible, we will get around to it and show you that connection. Because we're going to go... What uh, I, Someone also sent me, in the course of this conversation, uh, actually in another conversation as well, they sent me videos of preachers preaching supposedly the gospel. I can't remember his whole name, but the first name was Bob, so we'll call him Pastor Bob. Pastor Bob, and I've heard this from other pastors, was saying that, uh, you know, I pointed out that Jesus said, forgive, if you don't forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. Now, Jesus said that. I mean, that's flat out in... Jesus' teachings to his apostles and to the people round about him. But they said, no, that doesn't count. All you have to do is believe in Jesus and you will be forgiven because there's a new covenant that came with his 
crucifixion and resurrection. And so there's a new covenant now. And so what Jesus said when he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom doesn't count anymore. You don't have to forgive your neighbor. You should, but you don't have to. You can still be forgiven if you don't. To me, Pastor Bob is an apostasy. (laughs) He's not telling you the truth. He's not a part of the church established by Christ because by definition, the church is promoting the doctrines of Jesus Christ. You know, preserving and promoting and teaching the doctrines of Jesus Christ. And the doctrines of Jesus Christ were what Jesus Christ said. Now, you're telling me that we can throw out everything that Jesus said before the crucifixion and resurrection because there's a new covenant. And that other stuff doesn't count anymore. Like, that kind of makes Jesus an author of confusion. I think Pastor Bob is the author of confusion. I think that what Jesus said is absolutely true. And I don't think the covenant says that you can contiguously and regularly and uh, as a matter of policy violate the Ten Commandments the basic commandments, even the two commandments that Christ gave us, which include all of the commandments, that's what he was telling us, that all of the commandments hinge on these two commandments of loving God, you know, and if God the Father, if that's who you really love, like you love your own Father, you want to be like your Father because you love your Father. And so you also want to be like God. You you want to be made in and perform your life in the image of God and according to the character of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, Christ is our example of the character of God. So when we do things in the name of Jesus Christ, we're doing things like Jesus Christ would do. That that's just that's just the way the language is explaining this idea of believing in you, I believe in the name of Jesus Christ. You believe in, you know, and then some people tried to separate. Oh, well, the, his name wasn't Jesus. It's Yeshua. you got to believe in the Yeshua of the Messiah. <laughs> and then you're okay. No, it has to be according to the character of Yeshua the Messiah, not the spelling of Yeshua the Messiah. Now, I, I'm fine with people saying Yeshua or Yahweh or Yadavah or Jehovah you know, all these different things, because I'm trying to understand what they mean by that, but when you really want to understand what they mean by that, you have to understand what they think the character of Christ, the character of God is. So you have to love God, and you have to love your neighbor as yourself. So those are the two commandments upon which all the other commandments are written. So that's the summation it's not doing away with the other commandments. It's it's a summation. Just like the statutes of Moses were detailed explanations of how to apply the ten statements that we see in the ten commandments, or what we list as the ten commandments. And in that list, if we disregard one of that list, we're probably not loving our neighbor as ourselves, and we probably don't love the whole character of God. 
we, we love some of the characteristics of God that we know about, but some of them we don't. And according to Jesus, that you, if you don't forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. And the, to tie in re, remission, remission is often translated forgive, which we will get into uh, later in the show. So, Pastor Bob is putting a huge stumbling block in the way of the people because he's telling them you can believe in Jesus and you don't have to listen to Jesus. You don't have to do what he says. Yet we know, he says, why do you say, Lord, Lord, don't do what I say? And many will come in my name saying, Lord, Lord, but they're actually workers of iniquity. They don't even know me. Jesus says this. But I guess Pastor Bob says we can throw that out too. <laughs> so so anybody who's telling you that the new covenant can throw out the teachings of Jesus Christ as he walked amongst us, that's a lie. That that's a strong delusion. Whoever's telling you that they need to stop because they're workers of iniquity. Because they're they're getting you to believe something that just ain't so. It's just like people always want to say that Paul got rid of the uh, that that the, the new covenant did away with the law. What law? You know, in, in Hebrew, there's several words for law. In English, there's several words for law. In Latin, there's several words for law. But in Greek, we only see the word nomos. So when they're saying they've done away with the law, and they, this, a lot of this comes out of the Romans. Well, what was the deal with the Romans? Well, Jews were trying to impose the private interpretation of the Pharisees Concerning the Torah, which means law, concerning the Torah upon Romans. And Paul was saying, no, that law, the law of the Pharisees, was done away with. If he thought the law of God was done away with, he wouldn't be saying things like people who covet have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Why would he say that? Well, can't they, can't you covet and still have inheritance in the kingdom of God? No. No, you can't. Because it's a violation of not only the Ten Commandments of coveting your neighbor's goods, but it's a violation of the Two Commandments of Christ, where you want to take away from your neighbor so that you can have more stuff. So that you can be safe. So that you can be secure. So that you can be, you know, comfortable. And that's just not, that isn't the gospel. That isn't loving your neighbor as yourself. That's actually holding your neighbor in contempt. It's not very egalitarian of you. That was another word that came up. Someone said they didn't believe in capitalism or socialism. They believed that we should be more egalitarian like the Native Americans. And I thought, like, what is she talking about? <laughs> you know, Powhatan had all kinds of slaves. He had 12 wives. Uh, 
the Indians, almost all the tribes, I won't say all of them, but a lot of the tribes owned slaves and enslaved other tribes. They actually had a precedent of manifest destiny. And that's just the North American Indians, which were often where you found some of the nobler Indians of the Native Americans. If you go down to the Aztecs, they were killing and oppressing people by the tens of thousands. <laughs> so, I mean, to say that hold up egalitarianism as some sort of predominant characteristics amongst the American Indians is ridiculous. Well, it would also be ridiculous if you held it up amongst the uh, Europeans. The truth is, there is no race that has a corner on egalitarianism, nor upon wickedness. And as far as I've seen, there's no denomination in religion, when I'm referring to denomination of religion, other than true Christians that are actually very egalitarian. Most of them are engaged in covetous practices. Uh, they get, you know, you go back 150 years in America and almost all social welfare was provided by charity through, mostly through churches. And Alexis Tocqueville, Alexis Dave Tocqueville came through and was, came through to observe Americans. Back in 1830s, 1840s and 1850s, he wrote about this. And he saw the churches is why America was great. Now, he's not talking about your church or Pastor Bob's church. He's talking about the churches back in 1830 and 1840. And he's not talking about all of them, but he's just saying that that's where he saw the greatness of America. Why? Because they were taking care of all the social welfare of society. There were other things that he mentioned, but that was key. It wasn't the harbors, it wasn't the natural resources, it wasn't the huge forests. They had all those, they had forests and natural resources in South America, but they weren't having the same results in South America. So it behoove us studying history and, and, and anthropology to find out why. Because that's going to lead us to a greater understanding of the remission of sins and the kingdom of God than what you're going to get from Pastor Bob. And I'm just saying Pastor Bob, I don't know what his last name is. I just didn't even make a note of it. But I and and they didn't call him Pastor Bob, but we're calling him that because you all know pastors out there who are telling you you don't have to keep the commandments. Not that by keeping the commandments, you're going to earn salvation. I don't, I don't believe that at all. I don't believe it says that. But if you're not keeping the commandments, that is evidence. What you're doing, your deeds, is evidence of whether you have really repented. If it's evidence as to whether you really love Jesus. It's evidence, as we saw in our study on John 3, it's evidence of whether or not you're really born again. Because you could be lying to yourself. You could be under a strong delusion. You could be have uh, been led by the blind to stumble into false religion thinking that you are saved and you are not. And Christ came because... 
people were sitting in darkness, and in truth, they're sitting in darkness again. The, and darkness is a darkness of the mind, a darkness of the soul, a darkness of the heart. And so, I could tickle your ears too, but that's not going to save you. But what's going to save you is if you really know Christ. And you're not falling over into false religion, stumbling over a stumbling block. And so... What is the stumbling block? I mean, we see this word stumbling block in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, uh, you know, it's a particular word, uh, kind of mixol is what you would say. And uh, it's it's composed of numerous mem, kaf, shen, vav, lamad. But... Uh, in the Hebrew, in the Greek, we see very, pretty consistent, it's not the only word that we're going to see in the Greek, but we see this word stumbling block also in, in the Greek. And it's translated a number of different ways. Stumbling block, of course, is one way it's, it's, it's translated, but also stumbling stone and stumbling and also offense. And it supposedly means a stumbling block, an obstacle in the way which if one strikes his foot against, he will stumble and fall. And of course, we're seeing that magnified today in the news that the whole of society is falling. And and in the news, one of the things that really was going around in the news a great deal this uh uh, last week or so was this interview with uh, uh, Joe Rogan and uh, Dr. Malone, and in it there was there was one one I mean, a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, you can't hardly watch it without or listen to it without being smarter when you're done. But I think some people might manage that where they would not be smarter when they're done listening. And I've actually gone and looked at some of the people who are criticizing what was said there. I mean, it's been blackballed from whole countries. The interview was so uh, informative, in my opinion, that it was blackballed from whole countries are not allowed to hear it. Or see it. Now, actually, there, some people were so impressed by it that it's actually been entered into the congressional record. Because you can't censor it if it's in the congressional record. <laughs> Supposedly you can. I think they will find a way. But he did make one statement that I thought was really important. And it's it will help us actually find the remission of sins according to the teachings of Christ. He didn't know he was saying that. It just came out. And it was, uh, we're a sick as a society. He's, this is what Dr. Malone says. And we have to heal ourselves. And one of the things we have to do is to come together. We have to recreate our social bonds. And that's what we need to understand. What are social bonds? Because in that, we will find the remission of sins that Christ came to teach us. Because that's what Christ was showing us how to do. That's what Moses was showing us how to do. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, 
it, it is going to absolutely be essential that people think differently. That was something somebody else was trying to tell me when I pointed out the fact that, uh, that Jesus said, if you don't forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. And he he's the one who led me to this Pastor Bob. And Pastor Bob says that you don't have to listen to Jesus because everything's changed after the resurrection. I looked through the Bible all over the place and nowhere did Jesus ever even suggest you don't have to listen to anything I said before the resurrection. <laughs> you only... Because that's all done away with. Everything I was talking about, you can forget all that. <laughs> that you, can, you can just take out whatever is inconvenient to your particular denomination and you can throw that out. And uh, now you don't have to keep the commandments. You don't have to. You can covet your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority. He said quite the opposite of that. He instructed his church. They were, you know, he appoints to them a kingdom. He says, I appoint unto you a kingdom. That's that's government. That word Basilia, that's a government. And, and we see Paul, do, uh, no, Peter actually even, doing contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Why? Is he disobeying Caesar? No, he, he's got another king. One Jesus. How do you end up getting Caesar as your king? Well, like the Pharisees, you say, I have no king but Caesar. And you eat at the table of Caesar. Now, the Old Testament tells you that if you're going to sit and eat with a ruler, put a knife to your throat if you be a man of appetite. You know, Paul talks about appetite. Not to be, you know, that we have a table of which they cannot eat. And he's constantly telling the Christians that you shouldn't be eating at the table that is provided to the temples of idolatry. Which was the social welfare that I talked to a doctor just this week, and he was he was you know he, he's looking at the materials and and uh, actually talking about having me on. I guess he has a program and he wants to have me on this program, but uh, he was stunned at some of the simple things that I say that I'm just quoting Christ, I'm just quoting the apostles, but I point out certain things about history that people don't seem to know. That the free bread and uh, welfare of the Roman society was provided by the temple. They had certain temples that did that. They had other temples like the the Temple of Mineta that minted coin. Even the Temple of Ephesus it minted coin. And that's what they were doing. These temples are just government buildings. And they provided certain government services. And like I was pointing out, Alexis Tocqueville was telling us that welfare services were not provided by the government in America back in 1835 or 1840 or 1850. Even after the Civil War, very little government services were provided by, you know, uh, you know, were providing welfare for the people. And, and I give people an article. You can look up Davy Crockett at Preparing You. And uh, Davy Crockett was scolded by an American citizen. I don't remember what. I guess he was in the state of Kentucky. So he'd be a Kentucky citizen. 
and uh, his name was Horatio Bunce, scolded Davy Crockett, who was a congressman, in running for re-election, that, uh, hey, she, government's job is not welfare. It isn't the welfare of the people. You can't take government tax money to provide legal charity for the people. Tocqueville goes into great detail. We have an article on legal charity, what that is. Legal charity is when you force through taxation your neighbor to take some of his sweat and toil and provide it for the care of other people. You do it by force because it's taxation. Taxation, you know, it's not voluntary, at least not in the United States. I don't know. It was in Israel, ancient Israel, all the way up until Saul. Saul was the first one who enforced taxation. He forced an offering. And Samuel said, your kingdom will fail. And that still applies today. If you guys start forcing contributions in your society to take care of the needy of your society, your government will fail. Your, your society will fail. And why it will fail? Well, we'll take you back to what Malone said. Because it degenerates the social bonds. It, it debilitates the social bonds of society, of a free society. I mean, there are all kinds of social bonds. In a totalitarian, in socialism, there's social bonds, but they're contractual. And that's why the government can force your contribution. You know, if you're producing a lot, they can take more from you. That's forcing a contribution. That's socialism. You know, they can, they can take your whole business away from you in socialism. They can take all your profits away. It depends on, you know, how how mild they get. <laughs> how Stalinist uh, they get. They can take everything away from you. You know, because the government capable of providing you with everything you want is also capable of taking away everything you have. But if you're joining such a society and asking your government to take away from your neighbors so that you can have more free stuff, you're not following Christ. Now, that's going to degenerate those social bonds of a free society because the social bonds of a free society is that you freely offer contributions to take care of the needy. And the more intimately this is done, obviously, if you go and sub somebody, I remember we we took up a collection at a local congregation we had here because we knew that a guy was going through a lot of difficulties. His wife was ill and and all these things, and his car was broke down. And so they took up a collection and sent me in to go pay his bill at the uh, at the mechanic. I knew the mechanic. I knew his car was in there, and I went in, and it wasn't it was a couple hundred bucks. It wasn't going to make or break him, but it it showed him that people cared. And But the reality is that the early Christians, they were taking care of all the social welfare of the early Christian community. And that was creating, strengthening, recreating the social bonds 
which the system of Corban set up by Herod and the Pharisees was destroying in society. See, if you don't know what Corban is, Corban, he tells you right there, it's obvious. And, and, and you can actually look it up. Corban means sacrifice in the Hebrew. It's it was the it was the social welfare system set up by Herod and the Pharisees, where you had to pay in. But that Corban makes the word of God to none effect because it breaks down the social bonds of a free society. Socialism breaks down the bonds of a free society. Yeah, we end up with a dictator. We end up with a ruthless despot in power but it also weakens the people that's what they were doing in Sodom and Gomorrah I mean the sin of Sodom what, what's the sin of Sodom the Bible tells you sin of Sodom was in a time of affluence they did not strengthen the poor they actually weakened the poor because Sodom was a socialist state and it provided benefits for the people golden calf that was one of the things this good doctor mentioned is that he was astounded that the golden calf was a central bank. And this goes into a conversation that we had concerning capitalism and socialism that some people did point out, and I agreed with them, that we don't have capitalism in America. Well, of course, we haven't had capitalism in America since 1913. Because you don't have capital. Because... You don't have, you know, it's, it's funny, I always think it's funny when I hear it, but other people don't even get it, when they say, we're going to a cashless society. Back when Alexis Tocqueville was traveling to America, and or even in England, and you can see this in novels written about the time, and uh, the, the store had a sign in one novel, I'm trying to think of the book, okay. It, I'm, the name is escaping me, but it said that the, the sign, he pointed to the sign, the storekeeper pointed to the sign because the guy wanted, he had a note, a bank note, and he wanted to cash it in the store into currency, which was coin, <laughs> gold and silver coin. <laughs> and the store had a sign, we don't, we only accept cash. That's what it said. We only accept cash. They won't take a note because a note is not cash. I mean, it wasn't in 1830, 1850, 1860. A note wasn't cash. Cash was gold or silver. That's what it says in the Constitution. You can't accept any debt, a payment of debt, but gold and silver. You know, I was talking about that. That's, that's how you pay a debt. And you go look it up in the law, standing versus white. You can't pay a debt with a note because it's not cash. <laughs> it's it's not. So you already are in a cashless society. You've just renamed notes cash. And if you don't know that, you don't know history. And of course, they don't want you to know history. And they haven't been teaching you history in your schools for a hundred years. And we show that also in another article, Schools as Tools. A testimony that, no, no, you, you're not doing that. <laughs> you're, you're not teaching history. So, yes, Dr. Malone is absolutely correct. Correct. We have to recreate our social bonds that have degenerated because the masses have an appetite 
for benefits in the habit of receiving them at the expense of their neighbor. Which, of course, I'm paraphrasing Polybius's quote 150 years before Christ. That the, that the society would degenerate. And that is the sin. That is the stumbling block. That modern Christians and Pastor Bob is not telling you about. That if you desire benefits, if the government becomes your comforter, not the Holy Spirit operating through the hearts and minds of the individuals that you are gathering together, because that's what Malone was saying, that we have to come together. Christ was saying the same thing. Bible tells you, forsake not the coming together. Jesus even commands, the only time he does command his disciples, that he makes the people come together in tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, which is the way the early church was organized. There was only one denomination in early Christianity because it was the denomination of Jesus Christ. But Pastor Bob says we don't have to listen to Jesus Christ's teachings. We just have to listen to, I guess, Pastor Bob. <laughs> so anyway, it's crazy. It's insane. It's a, it's a psychosis. Which is another thing that uh, Dr. Malone mentioned. This psychosis. Well, the, a psychosis is where you 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 can't see clearly in your mind. That you, you have some sort of dysphoria or some sort of confusion. There's a... And what he, what he mentioned was mass formation psychosis. What the way Jesus would say that is the people sit in darkness. So when you see Jesus talking about people sitting in darkness, you're talking about people sitting in mass psychosis. They can't see that, and they go to Pastor Bob's, who are the blind leading the blind. So they remain in darkness. Now we talked, last time when we talked about remission, we were talking about this baptism of repentance leading to the remission of sins. And and Christ coming to tell us how to get to that status of this remission of sins. By what he says. But, of course, Pastor Bob's throwing out what he says. <laughs> so, but he wants you to be in the light. He wants you to overcome your psychosis, your mass formation of psychosis. But now, when to be fair, Dr. Malone, when he was talking about this mass formation of psychosis, which is something Dr. Peter McCullough also talks about, and we actually, I just just before the program began, I put up a little page with several links uh, that explain this mass formation. Because I, I went to a, a page that was t- criticizing Dr. Malone. And it was one of these fact checker pages. And uh, and it's criticizing this mass formation of psychosis. And of course, I saw, I actually included an interview here, a video interview um, with uh, Kim Iverson, who has a pretty good clear view of things, it seems. At least this part of this mass formation of psychosis mentioned, but she interviewed two other people. I don't know who they were. I didn't have time. I haven't even finished watching the video. But uh, they weren't buying it. They don't think this mass formation of psychosis exists. But of course, you never think that the psychosis exists. 
if you're suffering from the psychosis, you, you don't realize you're in darkness when you're in darkness. You, you realize you're in darkness when somebody turns on the light. That's when you really realize that you didn't see before. But anyway, McCullough makes it pretty clear. He says there's four things that are needed to create this mass formation of psychosis. And of course, this is just, you know, it, mass formation of psychosis existed long before they invented the phrase. <laughs> you know, mass hysteria is an example of it, but it's a Dr. Uh, Matthias uh, Desmet uh, from Belgium, I think, uh, who formulated it. And there's other doctors mentioned in the video I share uh, has some of those other doctors. But the four things, and you tell me if you, you've seen any of these things lately. The four things you need is you have to have isolation. Uh, on a mass basis. So you have to have this prolonged social isolation and limiting interaction between people, which is, you know, we're naturally gregarious. We want, most people want that interaction between people. The, the other thing, the second thing that you need is you need to deprive the people. On a mass basis. Deprive them. Remove some sort of normal source of comforts. You know, like they can't go out to a restaurant anymore. They can't go to a movie anymore. <laughs> My uh, son-in-law and daughter went to, they were, they had to stay in town because of a breakdown in the truck and repairs and all those things. And so, which is a hundred some miles away. And so they thought, well, we'll stay in a motel and we'll go to a movie. And they went to the movie. It was like, what was it? 38 bucks for two people to go to a movie. <laughs> And you had to sit there with a mask on. <laughs> so they decided not to go to the movie. <laughs> we're not big mask wearers out here. But that's, that masking has multiple, uh, it, it isolates you. You, you. you can't see faces. You can't see smiles. You can't see people speaking. Uh, so that's part of that isolation. You can't be close. You're not supposed to give hugs. You're not, you're not even supposed to be gathering in groups of more than two <laughs> in Australia. You can actually get arrested if you're in a group of more than two. So you have that isolation and then deprivation of comforts like, you know, going out to gatherings and social gatherings. You can't even have Thanksgiving together or anything like that because Dr. Fauci would be upset. So that's having a profound psychological effect that can be contributing to this mass formation of psychosis. The third thing you need is a constant state of anxiety or renewal of anxiety. What McCullough calls free-floating anxiety. Uh, reminding us always that we have to be afraid. And of course that's why suicides are skyrocketing. But what are the sources of the anxiety? Well, you might might get COVID. You you might get a flu. You might die. And what are, what are the reminders? Well, got everybody wearing masks. Oh, you have to wear the mask. And then the fourth thing is there has to be a single solution. Can't have ivermectin. Can't have hydroxychloroquine. You can't have uh, quercetin and zinc. Can't have those things. 
you can't have some of the remedies that a lot of doctors like Peter McCullough and other doctors in South Africa and Japan and places where they have having almost no deaths are using with great success. But you can't have those because you have to have a single solution from the beginning, even before they made it, has to be a vaccination. <laughs> Singular solution, that's what they say. You have to have this single solution. And you have to be told by somebody in authority that that is the only solution. And accordingly, this psychosis produces a population that is radically intolerant. And this tolerance uh, combined with fear leads to an irrational compulsion with no limits to the extreme uh, actions that will be taken or that are even acceptable. And so that's why you have this threat of forced vaccinations and people yelling at you and all the care and screaming at you because you don't have your mask on right and everything is because they have this radical intolerant uh, approach. And, and they won't listen to the science at all. And and these ridiculous fact-checkers are out there saying. But, of course, now we're talking about the Bible, and that was one of the things some of the people said. I... I Usually I give little quotes in these conversations, and I only have these conversations on social media. You know, I care about those individuals, but that's very tiny. But it gives me insight and and observation of what's going on in people's minds and how they work. I've always been fascinated with that. So, you know, I, I give them just little little sound bites, little tidbits, and see if I can create interest and and a response, and one person, and then I will put a link to one of the pages at Preparing You or His Holy Church. I usually like to use Preparing You because people are so prejudiced if you mention church. Uh, you know, the people who are going to church, they're, they're sitting in darkness, most of them, so badly that they can't see it at all because they're already under this, uh, the mass Formation of psychosis with false religion and Pastor Bob's uh, by the thousands. But uh, the people who have come out of that psychosis, well, maybe they're a little bit more willing to see that there is a solution. And Christ had that solution. Moses had that solution. Christ did it better. But Moses had that solution. Abraham had that solution, but almost nobody knows what Abraham was doing. They haven't got a clue what Abraham is doing because they all went to the Pharisees who got it wrong and says, what does the Old Testament say? So we've written lots of books and lots of articles to try to show you with lots and lots of footnotes so you can take a look for yourself. You're only going to see the truth if the Holy Spirit opens your eyes. If you draw near the Holy Spirit. And this is the thing. The Corban of the Pharisee. The sacrifice of the Pharisees. Which was no longer free will offerings. But forced offerings to the government of the Pharisees. And Herod. Who had both the temple in Jerusalem. And all the synagogues connected to it. And the temple of Roma. Is setting up social welfare systems. Based on taxation. Instead of free will offerings. And that is the stumbling block. Because if you do that. You're already entering into a mass formation of a psychosis. Because you've 
closed your eyes to the fact that if it's coming to you by way of men who exercise authority, something Christ forbid at the end, explaining what his church was supposed to be doing, you're not to be like the benefactors of the world who exercise authority one over the other, who aren't really benefactors, they just call themselves benefactors. You're not to be like that. Why? Because it will lead to mass formation of psychosis. It will bring you back to darkness. It will cause young men to say they have to do no more ought for their parents. Because they got Social Security. They got Medicare. They got Medicaid. They got national insurance. They got whatever it is. Whatever country. And they can prove they got it because they got the number. Prove they got it. But anyway... So what does this have to do with the remission of sins? Well, until you repent of that stumbling block, you're not going to really understand what it is that might save you. You might not really understand Christ. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, on our page of remission, we had uh, numerous sections I put in there. I've been changing some things as we go along. As a matter of fact, I just added to the page during the break. And it's an ongoing process, and eventually I'll try to go through it all. Uh, a great deal of revelations about, you know, the altars of blood of Abraham, which I mentioned. Uh, I mentioned Abraham anyway. But his altars that he was creating were actually designed... To create those social bonds of a free society. That's what, that was their purpose. It, God does not need the smell of the smoke of burning sheep. I did a video once where we had a sheep that died and we put it up on a stone altar and we set it on fire and I, and I don't know what ever happened to the video. It disappeared somewhere, but, uh, I was explaining that it did not, I was going to give this visual effect to explain that God's not pleased with the smell of burning sheep. For one thing, if you're burning it with the wool on, it's going to stink to high heavens. And then a certain matter of physics takes over. As you start to heat the internal part of that sheep, it begins to literally explode. So this idea, I mean, it even tells you in the Old Testament that the people can eat the meat. <laughs> yeah, they... They sacrifice the, the lamb, but the people can eat the meat. So it's not just burning it up. They're actually cooking it. Well, if they're cooking it, they're gutting it first. And, of course, the Passover lamb was a perfect example of that. You had to take out all the intestines and clean them out. This is on the day of preparation that you clean them out. And then you put them back in and sew them up and you roast the lamb whole. And the fats from within the... Uh, you take out, you know, the bile and and all the stuff that is going to explode <laughs> up the sheep. And there's a way to prepare it. But the reason the Passover feast was even created was not just to commemorate an event of when death passed over, but was to bring rich and poor together in congregations of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands to share a meal which usually meant everybody was going to gather at the rich guy's house <laughs> and uh, and create those bonds, those social bonds. Of course, they needed to do this all all week long, all year long, and just as you have to wear your mask all week long, <laughs> all year long, and for now two years. Uh, 
you know, it's it's insane, it's crazy, but everybody is under a mass formation of psychosis, so they're doing these things. But on our page, Remission, we had topics like shed for many, receive not the love of the truth, baptism of repentance. And we went through the quotes where it talks about this remission of sins and this baptism of repentance. Not baptism of water, it's the baptism of repentance where you're immersing yourself daily in thinking this other way. Thinking the way that Christ thought. In order to know what Christ thought, you have to actually listen to what Christ said and do what Christ said. Because you can't just be a hearer only. You have to be a doer because Christ said so. That's what he says. Pastor Bob's going to throw that out. (laughs) You know, like, one of the things is, no, it says over here in one of the epistles that you just confess your sins. And, yeah, the problem is, is that you haven't confessed your sins because you're under this psychosis. You sit in darkness and you don't want to accept the idea that forcing your neighbor to contribute to what you want is a stumbling block. But eventually we get down, we talked about graves and open tombs. The mouth of Bob, Pastor Bob, is a grave, an open tomb. And he's going to swallow you up in it. You're going to be devoured in it if you listen to these ear ticklers who are not teaching the whole gospel. They're only teaching what they want to hear and what they think you want to hear. So you keep coming to... And they love their pulpits. They love their pulpits more than they love the truth. Because they love to sit up there and everybody listen to them. And they love looking like they're humble in their pulpits. Because it's, it's, it's all a game. It's the blind leading the blind. But finally we get down to the purse of innocent blood. And we didn't get into that very much, you know, uh, when we were talking last week or so on uh, this remission word. But there's a great deal of scripture about flesh and blood and innocent blood and the shedding of blood and the shedding of innocent blood. And even, you know, Peter talks about cursed children. Well, how do you curse children? How do you shed innocent blood? How do you run to shed innocent blood? Well, Peter tells us that you curse children with your covetous practices. In the New Testament, after the resurrection, Bob needs to read that, after the resurrection, Peter is saying that you're going to curse your children because of your covetous practice. You'll even make yourself merchandise, human resources. You'll go back into the bondage of Egypt because of your covetous practices. Because their table is a snare. Paul tells you that. Their table is a snare. Of course, he's just quoting David. who says that what should have been for your welfare has become a snare. But that, that welfare is the table at which you eat. And you're either eating at the temple that forced the contributions of the people or the temple of faith, hope, and charity. Because John the Baptist was not preaching the temples that forced the contributions. You don't do it by force. You do it by faith, hope, and charity. You do it by what we call love for one another. And you really can't do that unless you're sending down the ten, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, which is why Christ commanded that you do that. Now, I know this is repetitious to people who've been here a lot. 
But nobody else is saying this. <laughs> Pastor Bob's not saying it. He's telling everybody you're saved already. You've already repented. You already said you're the us and we of Paul. But you're not the us and we of Paul. You're the many that are workers of iniquity. Because you're still cursing your children. You're still shedding innocent blood. So how does that all work? Now, if you go and you you read uh, Proverbs 1. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. So he's talking about consent and sinners enticing. Well, what is the sinner's... Name a sinner who entices. FDR? <laughs> Franklin Delano Roosevelt? Who said, you can all have social security if you're willing to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Forced insurance. It's not insurance, though. And we explain this in our articles and, and books on social security because it's not me explaining it. It's the Supreme Court explaining it. It is the guy who wrote it, wrote the Social Security Act. Yeah, we quote the guy who wrote this. It's not insurance. It's called in social insurance, but it's not. The government's not an insurance company. If the government was an insurance company, you could buy the insurance and you let it expire and not be insured anymore. <laughs> but no, it's not that. It's the bondage of Egypt. You've gone back in and now you owe a portion of your labor to the government. And they can take and take and take and take and take, like Samuel says. But uh, they don't have to give you any benefits, which the Supreme Court says. You, you're not entitled to any benefits whatsoever. They can take that all away, but they can keep taking from you. Because you've waived a right to a portion of your labor. You've consented because you applied. So it says, my son of sinners like FDR and LBJ entice you who consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us all wait for blood. Well, if he had said that, maybe we got it. But they just not what they, they said, let us desire the blood of our neighbor. Let us lurk privately, secretly, do ambuscade. But, you know, that was a word used by Patrick Henry. He said, you know, when he was debating against the Constitution, he, he said that this document was written as if good men will take office. When bad men take office, like FDR and LBJ, they will steal your rights through ambuscade. Well, you can put the word lurk privately. They will lurk privately to steal your rights by getting you to consent to desiring the blood of your neighbor, the sweat, the toil of your neighbor. So that you can be secure. So that this is the solution. That was then the single solution. And for the innocent without cause. You didn't have any right to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. You could desire that he would. And and he might do it. And he used to do it in America back in 1830 and 1840 and 1850. He used to do it in America. Take care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity. We used to do that. We don't do that anymore. We now look to the government who exercises authority. It goes on in verse 12. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into a pit. 
That's what you were doing when your parents and your grandparents and great-grandparents were suddenly consenting to the idea that it's okay to force your neighbors to contribute to your welfare, which is certainly a covetous practice. Certainly opposite of what Christ was saying to his church when he appointed them the kingdom, a kingdom, a government. That you are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority and force the contributions of the people. They call themselves benefactors, but they only take away from their neighbor. And he said, it goes on in verse 13, We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoils. He says, cast in thy lot amongst us. Let us all have one purse. That's what you do. That's what socialism is. Everybody's got one purse, and whoever has the fattest purse, we get to take out of their purse and give to somebody else whose purse is not so fat. The redistribution of wealth. And I believe in the redistribution of wealth. If you only use charity, not legal charity, and you have to go look up that word. We have an article on that. Cause that's, the, that's a phrase that was used back in the 1800s to any government welfare benefit. It was called legal charity because back then everybody knew that legal meant bound or binding. Legal, that comes from the, the Latin lex legis, to bind. It's often translated law. But it's not the only word, like I said, in Latin that's translated law. The jus juris is also translated law. But that means just right and fair. Legal means bind. So legal charity is you're forced to give charity. <laughs> you're forced to contribute to the welfare of your neighbor, to the old folks, to to whatever. That will break down the social bonds of a free society because you're taking away the right to choose from the individuals of society. It's no longer charity of Christ. It's the charity of Caesar. It's the charity of Herod. It was the charity, the Corbin of the Pharisees. It makes the word of God to none effect, but Bob's not going to tell you that. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that. So anyway, that's the way they get you. They say that this is the solution and everybody signs up. Now you're living in darkness. A little bit dark. It's going to get darker and darker and darker before the truth resurrects in your mind. And hopefully by the end of this program or this podcast, it will have awakened you a little bit. That you should not have cast your parents, your grandparents, you should have not have cast their lot amongst those people like FDR and LBJ to have one purse. Because the Bible goes on in verse 15, My sons, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path, their path of socialism. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. To take the sweat and blood of their neighbor and now because everybody's operating in debt, all these governments are operating in debt. You know, I, I see people arguing, well, these are adhesion contracts and they don't count. Well, they do if you've incurred debt because either you signed the adhesion contract when you applied for the benefit or you're a thief. Either way, you're in trouble. 
either way, you're cutting yourself off from the path to liberty under God, which is the path to the kingdom, which is the way, which is what Christianity used to be called when it first began, was called the way. Surely, in vain, the net is spread in the sight of the bird. Now, why is he saying that? What, where else do they talk about net? Well, their table is a snare. <laughs> their welfare, they're, they're saying, yeah, we're going to get stuff from other people. But really what they're going to do is get stuff from you. And they lay in wait for their own blood. That's what they're saying. Your blood's going to be taken. You think you're going to get rich because you're going to get the welfare of others? Now, you're, you're, you're not only snared, but your blood, the same government that is able to give you everything you want, is able to take everything away. Now, I'm, I'm bouncing this right off of your psychosis. Now, you're either going to, you may not be able to accept this all at once. Chew on it. <laughs> Don't spit it out. <laughs> They lurk privately for their own lives. You think you're going to get benefits by taking from the life of others, the sweat, the toil, the blood of others, of taking a bite out of one another? That's New Testament. No, you're going to be devoured. Same story. Just Old Testament, New Testament, telling the same story. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain. Which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Greedy for gain that taketh away the life of the owners thereof. You're eating meat with blood in it. The the benefits you're getting from the government have blood in it. It wasn't freely given. It's making the word of God to none effect. This is the stumbling block Bob's not telling you about. Wisdom crieth out. She uttereth her voice in the streets. Well, we uh, utter her voice on keys of the kingdom. But can you hear it? Do you have ears to hear and eyes to see? So, yeah, that's where we're at. Uh, Isaiah 59, same thing. Which speaks of this path that also sheds innocent blood in a path of iniquity. Which brings waste and destruction. So what is this? You know, that's Isaiah 59, 7. Their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. This is the Christians who think it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. Uh, And we'll see Romans 3.15, that New Testament. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. The way of peace is to take care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity, not through force, fear, and violence. This is what Paul is talking about. This is what James is talking about. This is what Christ was talking about. It's not what Bob's talking about. Bob's talking about you can still run to shed blood. You can still 
take a bite out of one another through men who exercise authority one over the other, and you can still call it peace. But it's not peace. you, You will not be saved from your enemy. You will not get back to normal. Because your old normal wasn't righteous. You want to get back to righteousness, not just to the old normal. Because the old normal brought you the new normal. So there is no remission of sin unless you repent. That You have to have the repentance, the baptism of repentance. You have to have your mind changed so you realize that, no, you're not going to be... So you, you can get mad at the government. That's a big mistake. You forget the government. You paid in all that money, you forget that. You sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty according to the way that Christ said to do it. If you love him, what's the beef? What's the problem? Why do you hesitate? Oh, you got to do something else first? Uh, and then you'll come? <laughs> the time's running out. Uh, so, this also involves this idea of save from our enemies. There's quotes about that. Delivered out of the hands of our enemies so that, that we could serve with our, our our fear in righteousness. They want you to be afraid in an unhealthy sort of way. Uh, in Luke 1, 7, D7, verse 77 in the first chapter of Luke, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. He's giving knowledge uh, for the remission of their sins. So the knowledge is instrumental in the remission of sins. Because we see this, you know, if you look at this word there that they say by, primary preposition denoting the position in place, time, or the state. So, if if you are doing the remission, you're doing the baptism of repentance that gives the remission, that in this process... There's an instrumentality uh, that counteracts. It actually, it leads, it's like two, your right foot, left foot thing. You know, you get remission of sin, you brings you to more repentance, or more repentance brings you to more remission of sins. It's a process. That's why Christ uses... Christ uses words that are process words like see, perceive, uh, persevere, Strive, because it's a process. It's birth is a process. It's not an instantaneous thing. It's a process. And, and that particular preposition, yeah, it is translated by, but it's also translated in. In remission. Uh, it's also translated with 140 times. With remission. It's also translated among 117 times. It's it's only translated by 163 times. Far more often it's translated other ways. It's just a Greek preposition. So, you know, 
people will create whole doctrines based on the fact that they say, oh, no, no, that's not, uh, that's, that's the word by remission. He saves us, and then we have the knowledge. No, it's, you, you need the knowledge in order to go through the process of remission, which is the process of baptism of repentance. So, you can't keep sinning. You just keep compounding where you're at. And so, then we go down to another section. I mean, I also have, there's other footnotes on, uh, you know, this idea of the sin. You know, we see in um, certain uh, verses where it says his father, Zechariah, talking about John the Baptist, because this is a John the Baptist quote was filled with the Holy Ghost. So he already, Zacharias, was already filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. He had, hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. The prophets have always been here. They're not, all the prophets aren't mentioned in the Bible. There's lots of prophets out there. There's lots of people who receive the Holy Spirit will speak to you. You need the Holy Spirit in order to know who they are. People, people are electing liars in their governments because they can't tell a liar when they see him. Why? Because they sit in darkness. Because they're under mass psychosis. <laughs> because they don't, they're not willing to see the truth. The truth you need to see more than any other is the truth about yourself. Your inability to perceive the truth is what, in order to see that, you need a certain amount of humility. This is why Christ talks about humility. Humility. Forgiveness requires humility. Anybody who doesn't forgive, anybody who is judging others, is usurping God. Because judgment is God's. This is why you have to forgive. They, people say, well, we don't have to forgive him. We will be forgiven. No. It doesn't work that way. Christ said it didn't work that way. All the prophets said it didn't work that way. But Bob says it does work that way. Why are you listening to Bob? <laughs> Why aren't you listening to all the prophets, including Jesus Christ? Who is not the author of confusion. He's not going to say one thing one day and the next day, you know, oh, forget everything I said before, because now we're under a new covenant. You know, even Paul didn't say that. Paul said, I preach Christ first. That means he told people what Christ said first. And then built upon that. But you're taking Paul out of the context of Paul and out of the context of Christ. And Abraham got it too. Abraham wouldn't be a part of Ur, wouldn't be a part of Haran, went out and built these altars of charity. That's what he was doing, building altars of charity. And we explain that in articles. We won't go into that. It will never get done here. But giving this knowledge of salvation unto the people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God. Through the tender mercy of our God. By that, that same preposition. 
So, anyway, we're going to come right back to Keys of the Kingdom and see if we can't get into the next section of this idea of remission, which is who truly believes. Very important. So, we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, I said we were going to talk about this, who truly believeth. And uh, I'm looking at this, Acts 10.43. It says, to whom... Excuse me. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, remember what we said, the name is not a spelling, it's the character, it's his identity. Name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Do you really believe in him? You say, oh yeah, I absolutely do believe you believe in who? Jesus, Yeshua, Christ. Do you know who you're talking about? Yeah, he's talked about in the Bible. Yeah, you know, I've had these conversations with other people. I says, do you know where so-and-so? Yeah, and you, you talk, well, you go down to his house, you turn right, and, uh, except for they had the wrong, there was another guy by the same name. <laughs> they They didn't know where he lived. They didn't, they were completely confused and if they followed my instructions they'd get lost because when they told me they knew where so and so lived, they were wrong. He doesn't live there anymore, didn't ever live there. <laughs> anyway, there's always or should be this question of who believes in Jesus and, and who is Jesus? I mean, throw out these like catechism answers of Jesus died for our sins of the, but who is he? Who is he? It's like when my son, my oldest son, who's now, you know, uh, a grandfather himself, um, he uh, was just a little kid. I had him read some little books and he's first learning to read on George Washington. I asked him, so who's George Washington? And he, he was going to tell me based on these books. And I realized, you, got, you haven't got a clue who he was. Oh, he knew he was president. Uh, he, he, he knew he had wooden teeth. <laughs> you know, those, those silly little things that we think tells us something about the person. But he really didn't know who the guy was. And so I went and got books, and there's all kinds of writings by George Washington, and got actual first-hand accounts, not history books, but first-hand accounts and, and his own words. And I started reading them. So that I could expound upon what my son had learned. And I realized I didn't know who George Washington was. Amazing individual. Problems, faults, errors in his life, mistakes. He thought the Constitution was a mistake after he had been president. <laughs> so he thought maybe we we did something wrong here. He wasn't sure. So, I mean, but he was asking the questions. He was a guy struggling. I'd love to have him as a neighbor. I I would probably be up real late arguing with him about a lot of things, but uh, I think he'd be a worthy opponent because he's he he was always willing to learn and listen. He was he his parents couldn't afford to send him to school, so he had to go to work. And so uh, when he first started keeping a diary, he kept a diary all his life. When he first started keeping a diary, he couldn't even read his handwriting. Everything was misspelled. It was terrible. He was probably dyslexic but uh anyway uh amazing individual if you actually know him but i realized i didn't know him 
You think you know Jesus. And I'm telling you stuff that Jesus was saying that a lot of people said, did he say that? <laughs> did, he, did he say that? Yeah, he said those things. So anyway, uh, because Jesus is full of these warnings. He gives us all kinds of warnings. That people would think they believe in him. They think they're doing all kinds of things in his name, like Pastor Bob. But they're actually workers of iniquity because they're licensing people to do what Christ said you can't do. You're not to do. You're not supposed to do. You're not even supposed to. And and that's absolutely contrary to what he told his disciples to tell the people. So, do what you know now actually conforms to what Paul's statements about not inheriting the kingdom of God. You know, I have a whole article. I link it there now on the page. I didn't when the program started, but during the break I added the link to an article that we already wrote about not inheriting the kingdom because Paul tells us this. And, and, and he tells us, uh, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Now, these are translations. Uh, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's saying that. Paul, don't you know that if they just believe and confess their sin, they're automatically saved? Well, have they really confessed their sin? Did they realize that covetous practices are a sin? Desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor, where somebody takes from the blood and sweat of your neighbor, takes from the blood and sweat of their children, when they're still even in the womb, they're taking from the blood. And of course, you know what that will lead to, is that they will actually shed the physical blood of the children eventually. And of course, we see that as well. And we may be seeing that with this mass, uh, mass, uh, medical, uh, distribution amongst children now that they're pushing for that they will shed blood of the unborn in unbelievable ways but unless your media tells you you won't know this and if you're already under this mass uh, psychosis uh, you won't see it either because your mass psychosis is like a religion it's not Real religion, we know real religion is how you take care of the needy of society. But it's this, it's this psychosis type religion. But anyway, in Colossians, it tells us to, Colossians 2, verse 14, uh, blotting out the handwriting ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. A lot of people like to quote that. They think somehow that that's done away with the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are not, you know, the, those ten statements, those were given to us by God. Those aren't handwritten ordinances. Handwritten ordinances are that you have to give 10, 20% of your income to the government. <laughs> that's a handwritten ordinance that somebody, and, and you may have to do that 
because your parents consented. I mean, everybody who was in the bondage of Egypt were in the bondage of Egypt because of the choices their parents made maybe 100 years, 200 years, 300 years before. Now, if you want to get out of that bondage, you need to repent. You need to open your eyes to your own failings, your own sloth, because we know the slothful shall be under tribute. And Jesus even said, if you owe the tribute, pay the tribute. Absolutely. But why do you owe the tribute? Well, Peter tells you in the New Testament, after the resurrection, that through covetous practices, you will be made merchandise. He tells you that your table will become a snare. And so that's actually what's happened. Your table has become a snare. And it's an unrighteous table. Because it's based on force, which Jesus said you're not to base your table on force. You're not not to be providing benefits through benefactors who exercise authority and use force. You're supposed to be doing it through faith, hope, and charity. And like I said, for those of you who cannot imagine this, because you're under the you've been under this psychosis, hopefully you're coming out, or you, you would have already stopped listening. <laughs> Or maybe you're just listening so like I make you angrier and angrier. But no. You can come out of it. You can awaken. You you can get the baptism of repentance that brings remission and the remission that brings baptism of repentance. In that process of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because it's righteous that you should take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. It is not righteous to take care of one another through force, fear, and violence. If you do that, you will go farther and farther under a a mass formation of psychosis. (laughs) And you will degenerate the social bonds of a free society that will bankrupt you on what we call social capital. And, and, you know, I don't use those phrases all the time, but in an article I'm working on, those are terms that are commonly found in the world today, and I want everybody to become familiar with them so that I talk about them. But the reality is, all these things were talked about in the Old Testament. All these things were talked about in the New Testament. And so that's why I overlap these Verses from the first witness, which was the Old Testament, and the second witness, which is the New Testament, which the world of false religion has tried to divide by saying that the Old Testament was done away with. Note what the Pharisees were saying the Old Testament meant was done away with by the truth that Christ came to tell us, that John the Baptist came to tell us. So that we could become doers of the word. So that the Holy Spirit would tell us. In our hearts and our mind. Which is where the kingdom is really rooted. Which is simply going back to the tree of life. As a source. Trees were sources. Life is the Holy Spirit. Spirit is life. Life is the Spirit. The Spirit giveth life. The tree of life giveth life. The tree of life is the source of life. The Holy Spirit is the source of life. This is all the same thing. They're talking about the same thing from Genesis to Revelation. 
They just use different terms. And for you to understand those terms are all the same. So how do you draw near the Holy Spirit? How do you draw near the tree of life? Well, it would be good to stop eating from the tree of knowledge. (laughs) But it would be better to do what Christ did. To come in Christ's name who came to sacrifice himself for others. Because that's love. No greater love does a man have than he is willing to sacrifice himself. Now, I mean, you don't have to jump on a grenade right away. But you could start caring about others enough to, you know, maybe skip a meal. Whatever you would have paid for the meal, you give that to charity. Now, giving to charity has to be done in a way that strengthens the poor. Handing a $20 bill to a guy on the side of the road with a sign, we've talked about this before, is not necessarily strengthening him. Uh, you, you, you could give him so much he'd go out and overdose on drugs <laughs> or alcohol or something. No, you have to have wise distribution, redistribution of wealth. Like I said, I'm all for redistribution of wealth, but only through charity, not through legal charity. Only through free will offerings. And it has to be a redistribution in a way that strengthens the poor. When it's done by government, they get sloppy and they weaken the poor. All the black community, and many of them are already seeing this, but many of them, the black community was decimated and destroyed and devastated uh, and brought to the the state that is now in where you what do you have 75% of the children being raised in single parent families this has come about because of LBJ who enticed them and actually people like Cloward and Piven we have an article you can look that up on Cloward and Piven targeted the black community LBJ targeted the black community to to weaken them by getting them addicted to the legal charity of government that exercises authority and forces the neighbor. This is what has done more to harm the black community than all the slavery in it that we see. So, we need to repent. We need to turn around and go the other way. And there needs to be this mutual shedding of blood through charity. Hebrews 9.22 And most all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. That's Hebrews. Now we're saying that, oh Christ, we shed his blood for us and that's all we need. No. If you don't shed your blood Sacrifice. Now, you're not earning salvation. But, again, why do I talk about works? Why did James talk about works? Why did Paul talk about works? Why does Revelation talk about works? Because it's evidence that you really have the baptism of repentance. Because you're willing to sacrifice for others. That's evidence. It's not earned. You, there's, you've got nothing you can give that will buy salvation. That's true. That's true. When Pastor Bob says that, that's true. But when he extends it to the fact that you 
don't have to sacrifice, that's nonsense. Sacrifice is done away with. We don't have to sacrifice anymore. Nonsense. There is no love without sacrifice. And that word sacrifice, Corbin, the Corbin of Christ. There is a Corbin of Christ. I have an article up on that, which I revisited this week. The Corbin of Christ is the sacrifice of Christ. And that, if we love Christ, we would automatically be doing that. I won't have to tell you to do that. If you do it because I told you that you need to sacrifice, that's no good. You have to do it because you're listening to the Holy Spirit because that's where the word Corbin comes from. Yeah, it means sacrifice, but it comes from a word that means to draw near. Because God's creation of mankind, creation of this universe, this spirit that breathed upon the waters and allowed, that was a sacrifice. It cast its life out so that others could live. Like when Jesus comes out of the tomb and breathes on the apostles and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. He gave his life that you might have, might be saved, and but you will not be saved unless you also love others, forgive others, be like Christ, humble your heart, humble your life in the service of others in a way that strengthens them. Sometimes strengthening them requires a little tough love, <laughs> like. Sorry, I'm not going to give to you because it's clearly weakening you. (laughs) But anyway, so as we stated, by the shedding of blood, everyone is evidently not to be automatically released from the bondage associated with sin, but only many, as we see in the text of Matthew. This is also repeating the principle of forgiveness. We see Jesus state in Mark eleven twenty six. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Jesus repeats this principle over and over again in the scriptures. Like I said, Matthew 6.14 For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Pastor Bob sowing that out. Matthew 6.15 But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Pastor Bob sowing that out. Matthew 18.35 So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if you From your heart forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. It's built into the system. Jesus isn't removing the plan of God. He's trying to clarify it. Pastor Bob's throwing it out. And I'm using Pastor Bob proverbially as all the pastors to say this nonsense. And, and, And it's the blind leading the blind. And I hope Pastor Bob repents. I hope your pastor, if he's saying this stuff, repents. And if he doesn't, maybe you need to tell him something. Mark eleven twenty five. And when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. 
You can read all that. Go on to verse 26. But in Luke 6, 37, Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, that ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. And as we saw before, forgive not, and you will not be forgiven. We see the same thing in Luke 11, 4, on and on and on. Uh, Luke twelve ten, And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but unto him that blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. What is blaspheming against the Holy Ghost? If the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of life, and that is also the tree of life, which we know that even Zechariah, the Holy Spirit entered into, talks about David, the Holy Spirit entering into. Holy Spirit's been around all the time. And I'm not sure, you may be doing a lot of things wrong, and I'm pointing those out now. That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit has never visited you. It's just that he's got more to say and do in you. You need to be perfected in that Holy Spirit. And one of the big stumbling blocks is this idea that you do not have to sacrifice to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. That you can keep going to men who exercise authority one over the other and depending upon those men to take away from your neighbor to borrow against the future of your children thereby cursing your children so that you can have free stuff now. This is the stumbling block that seems to be pervasive throughout all the world that has allowed this mass formation of psychosis to come upon the people. And what was the first thing? And this mass, uh, well, I should say, the, oh, the it's actually the third thing in the mass formation of psychosis was fear. And this free-floating fear and anxiety uh, isolating. I'm saying come together. Uh, deprivation. Uh, removal of normal comforts. No, we're supposed to love one another. You know, greet each one with a holy kiss. Take care of one another. Gather, not forsake the gathering together. And fear not. And the, there is a single solution. But it's not coming from somebody who exercises authority. It's coming from somebody who, like Christ, came to serve. Christ came to serve, not to exercise authority. Yeah, he has authority, but he came to serve. Why? To teach you how to serve one another. Because in that service to one another is the love that we need for one another that will bring back those social bonds that have connected us with another. Those social bonds that uh, were mentioned by Dr. Malone in this interview that we started talking about way at the beginning, which we're now getting closer and closer to the end, so I thought I would bring some of these things because I never did finish the whole statement. He said, we're sick as a society. I agree. We have to heal ourselves. Well, we have to allow ourselves to be healed. And Christ is that healing agent. The Spirit of Christ, the comforter that he is sending us, is that healing agent. And one of the things he goes on to say that we have to do is come together. I agree. But we have to come together in the name of Christ, in the character of Christ, in the way of Christ, and what Christ was saying for us to do. We have to 
recreate our social bonds. If we do what Christ said, that will begin to recreate the social bonds. We don't know exactly what those social bonds look like because we've been blind to them for so long. But we, I hope I've given you some kind of an inkling of what that will look like. Because this is going to open a Pandora's box of righteousness in your heart and drive out the demons. There was, there was one spirit in Pandora's box that came out at the end. Little tiny thing came out with all this evil that came out of Pandora's box. What was that little tiny thing? Hope. That's what it was. And that hope can grow like that grain of mustard seed if we will go the way of Christ. He went on to say, we have to buy into integrity. You have to realize this integrity. That's one of the things that he's, he's battling with. The importance of human dignity. The importance of community. Community is communion. A daily ministration that takes care of one another. That's how we get out of this, he says. And he's right if we do it the way Christ said. So, until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.